Hey, welcome back to This One's a Doozy. I'm Kevin. And I'm Haley. And we talk about stories of mystery, true crime, and folklore of the unusual, unsettling, and oftentimes unsavory goings-on of our world today, yesterday, and long ago. Mm, Yeah, we do. (laughs) We sure do. Welcome back. This is a special one, isn't it? This is going to be our first multi-part. Is it? Is this our first one? Yeah. Wow. We we recorded another multi-part one, but it's not going to be released. We're saving it for a rainy day. Sure. For when one of us or both of us are sick. And Yeah. So now there's yep. a mystery as to what that <clears throat> one is. Yeah. But this one is, I'm really excited about hearing about. I've literally heard little tiny bits and pieces and the subject of what it is, but I don't know anything about it. So I'm excited. But first, before we do that, the... Age old question. What dost thou drinketh? I have nothing to drink because you forgot oh, my water. I upstairs. forgot your water upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So well, I am a little right. p- parched. Oh man, that's too bad. Probably hear it in my <laughs> in my talking that I'm so thirsty. <sighs> Sorry. Yeah. That's okay. I forgive you. What are you drinking? Thanks. I am drinking what is called voot beer, which is vodka root beer. And then to spice it up, to zhuzh it up a little bit little more. Zhuzh. A little zhuzh. I yeah. threw some <laughs> vanilla ice cream from McDonald's in there too. Yep. I made sure to not get the uh, Oreo pieces in there because that would have been weird. But I got some. I bet it would be good. Maybe. I don't know. Tell us what you think, listeners. Root beer with uh, Oreo McFlurry and vodka. Mm. What a pe- What a, co- I almost said pear. Mm. What a combo. It is quite tasty. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Well, it has been very hard not to just blast off with you and tell you every single thing I've read about today's subject. Yeah. It is so wild. I'm really excited about it. But first, I think the people need to know, what is our feel-good fact of the day? <laughs> well, this one's really cute. Okay, I love this one. So we have two dogs that I love with my whole heart and soul. And it turns out, science has proven that our dogs love us back. So based on a study, just like humans, when we are around people or things that we love, our brain releases oxytocin. Dogs' brains Hmm. also release oxytocin upon seeing their owners, which to take part in that study (laughs) would have been dazzling. Uh, They also ran the study with wolves and humans, and oxytocin was not released in the uh, brains of wolves. Interesting. Yeah. So it just made me want to go snuggle the pups. (laughs) That is very nice. That's a cute one. Yeah. Well, speaking of things that do not release oxytocin (laughs) around humans, are you ready to get get us into this week's story? I am. Uh, I'll probably have to stop multiple times and just like give everybody disclaimers because for real, trying to figure out how to present this has taken me, you can attest to this, Yes. literal months. Mm -hmm. I have started and gotten you know, 30, 40 minutes into writing something up and then scrapped it and started over again multiple times. Yeah. Cause this is just really kind of a hard story to figure out how to sum up. Yeah. So yeah, we are going to get into it. So the story that I have for you today, Kevbot, mm-hmm. it's a real mind bender. We're talking alien sightings, monster sized predators, terrifying unidentified creatures, curses, skylights, and the list goes on. Ooh. Not to mention, it is the most scientifically studied hotspot for unexplained weirdness that exists. 
If you are someone who's even remotely interested in things that can't be explained, you've probably heard of this place. And if you haven't heard of this place, then strap in because this one's a doozy. (laughs) I'm talking today about Skinwalker Ranch. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm just going to be totally real for a second. There is a lot of mystery and there are differences in the details when it comes to Skinwalker Ranch. While it's quite literally the most scientifically researched paranormal hotspot on the planet, and there's tons of documentation about the ranch itself and about the many odd occurrences there, there is still so much mystery surrounding the property. One more small disclaimer. Sorry, guys. Uh, I think it's good and wise for us to go into this with understanding that the whole of North America is rich with history and it, you know, it's rich with all kinds of longstanding Native American folklore and Mm -hmm. tradition. And so while I was researching this, I saw it mentioned over and over that the mere mention of skinwalkers is a no-no across many Native American cultures. Mm. I don't want to spend too much time talking about them because I'm not trying to you know, be disrespectful or upset anybody, but there's just realistically, there is a need to kind of lay down the foundation for why so many people think that this property is so weird. Yeah. So if there's- And it's in the title. It's in the title. I I was hoping that anybody who may be upset at the topic would see the title and say, oh, this one's not for me. And, uh, you know, if that's the case, then we'd be happy to have them back next week. We also are going to timestamp the one small section that I'm going to spend talking about skinwalkers. So just throwing that out there, putting that out there that I am aware that this is not something that people find to be a fun Mm. topic. This is really a serious. Right. And it can, it's potentially offensive to some people. Yes. So or, or triggering, like upsetting. Yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll kind of explain why that is a little later. So, okay. Now that I've gotten all that out of the way, hopefully my sincerity is obvious in that. And if it's not, and I need to be corrected, especially if I get something wrong, please let me know. Um, but all right, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So the land that the ranch sits on is in the northeastern corner of Utah, and it's known as the Uintah Basin. Factoring in that the land was inhabited by Native Americans for literally thousands of years, there's already a ton of history there. A quick breeze through of the weirdness of the basin goes a bit like this. In the 1770s, a Spanish expedition took place in the region. Once they saw that the land was rich in many valuable resources, such as coal, oil, and minerals, settlers with specialties in things like hunting and trapping, plus other settlers came to kind of try and settle the region, I suppose. Mm, So Abraham Lincoln actually turned the basin into a reservation in response to the conflicts that were happening pretty regularly between the Ute natives and Mm. the Mormon settlers in the area of the Provo Valley. For context, the Provo Valley was rich uh, and is rich in lush greenery, fertile soil, and loads of animals for hunting. So what essentially happened is that the Utes were pushed from the valley and into the basin. The landscape of the basin, though rich in valuable materials, was definitely a more challenging environment. Mm. The deal that Lincoln proposed basically said that if uh, Native Americans left the valley peacefully, they would maintain control and ownership of the Uintah Basin for all time. Mm. Things went all right for a while until a carbon mineral that would be named Gilsonite after its founder was discovered on the land. And when more Mormon settlers arrived in the area, the Utes 
began to be shoved into smaller and smaller corners of the basin until their hold over the land that was promised to them was pretty much slashed to ribbons. Mm. So some were paid a small amount for moving off of their land while others were tricked or bribed. Around the same time that this was happening in Utah, the Utes in Southern Colorado were facing the same problem. They too were being pushed off of their land. There was fear Mm. that conflicts between the Utes and the settlers would escalate, so the military was assigned to establish an outpost that would eventually become Fort Duchesne. Hmm. This military group was led by Major Frederick Benteen and 75 of the Buffalo Soldiers. The Buffalo Soldiers were an all-black group known for their legendary skills on horseback and their might in battle. Hmm. So I know that it seems that none of this is connected and I kind of just cannonballed right in, but I promise that I'm getting somewhere. <laughs> so, not just okay. a really cool American history lesson, yeah, yeah, even yeah. though it's also really well, sad and I mean, upsetting. Not cool, right? <laughs> kind of yes. sad. Come on, Kevin, get with the program. <laughs> So the reason that all of this matters is that the Buffalo soldiers stationed at Fort Duchesne were all Freemasons. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Freemasonry because I feel like that should probably end up being its own episode at some point. (laughs) But in short, though it's normally thought of as being run by white, wealthy men in positions of power, it actually has roots that go as far back as ancient Egypt. Wow. It popped up in Europe in the 1300s and eventually evolved to what we think of as Masons or Freemasons in the 1700s in London. And it was kind of like a way to improve society. Mm. It was almost like a fraternity after yeah. a fraternity. Yeah. Uh, so it looks a little different in different areas of the world. But when I think of Freemasons, I think like creepy secret society made up of elite yeah. People with weird secret handshakes and like yeah. culty practices. The Discovery and- Channel documentary <laughs> series really, <laughs> really got me. <laughs> with secret all the ceremonies, <laughs> yeah. all of that kind of stuff. So the Buffalo Soldiers were part of a special sect of Freemasons that began in Prince Hall in Boston that was made up of all black members. Hmm. The 75 Freemasons had their own hall in Texas before being transferred to Fort Duchesne. After the Buffalo soldiers had passed away, they were all buried in a graveyard that was like established like specifically for them. But what ended up happening in the graveyard was that housing and apartments were built over the graveyard for the Utes to live in. So not only are they being forced off of their land, but their homes are literally being built on top of a mass grave. or grave site, yeah, at least. weird. So Ooh. many Utes even still believe that a lot of the trouble in the region began with building the homes over this burial ground. Skinwalker Ridge, located on the property of the ranch, actually has an oddly placed Freemason symbol at, like, the crest of one of the ridges. Ooh. And it's like, it could only be reached if somebody, like, suspended somehow. So they like off of the side of the, the cliff. Yeah. And to that's get how it they there. made it weird. Yeah. So there's a little bit of weirdness there with the land's history. Uh, the area also has a feature called Bottle Hollow. That is a tongue twister. Bottle Hollow. Bottle Hollow. <laughs> so it started off as a little piece of like ravine where soldiers who were returning from a night of drinking would just kind of toss their bottles. <laughs> and that's how the spot gained its name. Eventually, a reservoir was built in the area. And since then, people who have all asked to remain anonymous Hmm. have reported sightings of these massive prehistoric looking snakes, Hmm. even claiming that the snakes are responsible for some like very weird drownings in the area. Yeah. Um, People also report seeing strange orbs and like belts of light over the water as well. Some say that they'll like go 
into the water and come out at like crazy speeds. And it's interesting because all of the reports that I looked at were like none of the people wanted to be named, Hmm. which to me, that seems more credible almost because nobody's like clout chasing. You know, they're like, I saw this and I can't explain it. I'm freaked out. Right. I'm on the record, but I'm redacted on the record. Yes. Don't tell people who I am. Please don't tell anybody my name. So, 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 uh, so this is just up to this point at the ridge. We haven't even gone on to the this ranch This is yet. all kind of like in the general area of the Uintah Basin that I'm talking about oh, okay. right now. Okay. Bottle Hollow is very near the property. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so all this so, is happening just... Okay. We're not even at the epicenter yet. So I'm really... Yeah. Not even close. <laughs> not even close. This is going to be a really long one. Yeah. So, okay. Let's talk about how the ranch earned its name. This would be the bit to skip over if you don't want to hear about skinwalkers. We will timestamp when this section ends so you can skip over it and move on to the rest of the story. Mm -hmm. Okay, so skinwalkers have their roots traced back to southwestern Native American tribes, such as the Utes and the Navajo. There are a few differences in the specifics between like the different tribal lore, Mm -hmm. but they all can be explained pretty simply. They're basically evil witches that can transform into some type of like predatory animal like a wolf or a bear Mm. or or something like that, or a coyote. The witch will wear the hide of the animal whose form they want to take. And once they've made it through the transformation, they'll gain the abilities of whatever animal they've chosen. Depending on which tribe you're looking at, skinwalkers gain other abilities too, such as extreme speed or strength. Some have been said to even have mind control powers where if they oh, wield that against you, gosh. they usually, when it's wielded against somebody, it's said that they will make the person hurt themselves or hurt somebody else. Oh. Yeah. Uh, it's, it? <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. And this is literally like. Terrifying. This is a nightmare on like steroids. (laughs) I know. It's believed that they have powers that can make their intended target get extremely sick or even die. And that it's also been said that some will even use necromancy or even necrophilia to develop and hone in their powers. Oof. Yeah. Big yikes. As I've mentioned, skinwalkers are an extremely sensitive topic to many Native Americans and they do not want to so much as even think or talk about them because it's believed that by doing so, you could be inviting the presence of a skinwalker into your life. It's been said that so much as seeing one and looking at its face can kill you, but also that if you see one and know who it is and can like name Hmm. the skinwalker, that the skinwalker will die. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's like a lot of magic that goes into this. Looking at the history, it is super important to make a distinction between traditional medicine men and like healers in Native American culture and then skinwalkers. Okay. Traditional medicine men and healers have a great deal of respect for like tradition and their end goals are always physical or spiritual wellness, Mm. healing, prosperity, that kind of stuff. There's There's a positive goal in mind. Yeah. The goal of the skinwalker is flat out evil. They want power. They want to destroy their enemies. One interesting thing is that the training involved for both parties actually kind of starts out pretty similarly. Like they'll learn some of the similar things, but it takes like a dark twist Hmm. for somebody who wants to become a skinwalker. They will learn the skills and practices, but the skinwalker takes those practices and kind of perverts them. So the book that I got most of my research from about the ranch particularly has some stories in there that they talk about some 
like, cause they interviewed a lot of people. Right. So they will share stories from some people that they interviewed about their experiences with skinwalkers and they are terrifying. <laughs> so if you want to learn more about that, that's a great place to start. I will share one because I want everybody to go read the book. Yeah. So in 1983, a white family was traveling at night through a Navajo reservation and they all had this like sinking feeling that they were being followed. Like they all felt this hmm. eerie, I'm being watched feeling. So as they slowed to make a turn, a being of some sort jumped out of a nearby ditch. The father who had been driving said that it was large, covered in black hair. It had glowing eyes and it was wearing man's clothes. He said that time sort of froze as they stood in a standoff with this being, whatever it was. Yeah. They eventually peeled out and drove away as quickly as they could. A few days later, and many miles away, the family awoke late one night to the sound of drumming. To their horror, they looked outside and saw three man-like beings on the other side of the fence guarding their property. The men were trying to scale the fence to cross the yard, but with no explanation, couldn't seem to do it. When they all realized that they could not invade the home, they turned around and they left. Oh, the family went to a Navajo friend and asked, what the heck was that all about? Yeah. So the person came and visited the home, inspected the grounds, all that kind of stuff. And the Navajo woman explained to them that when they had initially made contact on the road with this being, which she believed pretty certainly was a skinwalker, yeah. it must have sensed some power from the family that they wanted. So they consulted with other skinwalkers to try and track the family down and harness that power by whatever means necessary. Ooh. She went on to say that they failed in doing this because something in their home must have been protecting them. She never identified what that was. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but that's, that's the only logical explanation for them yeah. being unable to climb the fence because they're powerful beings that right. can climb. <laughs> they can do crazy, yeah. Yeah, crazy physical feats. much crazier feats. things than that. And yes, for some reason, they couldn't do that. She also did note that it was odd that skinwalkers would do this because generally speaking, they only tend to target other natives and not non-natives. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's true across the board or not. That's just what I read. But uh, she performed a blessing ceremony to try and prevent this from happening again to the family. And then she left. Hmm. So what do skinwalkers have to do with the property? Yeah. Youths believe that the skinwalkers have had ties to the property for over 15 generations. That is a long time. Long time. Yes. Is, how many years approximately would that be? Isn't a generation considered like 30 years or 50 years or something? Something. I, don't, I yeah, I don't know. It's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> math. Yeah, yeah. The math of it. <laughs> so long ago, every once in a while, the Utes and the Navajos would fight side by side if there was a common goal that they were working towards. However, their alliance didn't last because in the 1800s, the Utes sort of switched sides for a time and partnered with the Spanish who'd supplied them with horses. Hmm. It's been reported that the Utes would abduct and sell natives from other tribes such as the Navajo into the slave trade in New Mexico, and that during the Civil War, they actually took orders from U.S. military in actions made against the Navajo. Hmm. Many Utes believe that this caused the Navajo to curse the land that the Utes were inhabiting with skinwalkers as a sort of vengeance for the harsh treatment that they'd experienced. Wow. Yeah, very intense. This land happens to be where Skinwalker Ranch is located. Even today, Oof. Utes will not go on the property. They believe it is, quote, in the path of the skinwalker. 
It's important to note that the Navajo do not believe that this is true because the Navajo are very much afraid of skinwalkers. So they say it's like pretty unlikely that their people would partner with skinwalkers in any way, like under any circumstance. Um, And on the same hand, since the goal of the skinwalkers is power and other like self-serving ideas, it's pretty unlikely that skinwalkers would partner with non-skinwalkers anyway. So just throwing that out there. Yeah. Okay, so sometime later in the late 1800s, a ranch was built on the land. Various owners and homesteaders on the land reported seeing plenty of unexplained phenomena, including sightings of large but, like, abnormal-looking predators on the property, Hmm. which is how it earned its name, Skinwalker Ranch. Right. Reports of things like strange lights and medical incidents were also peppered through the over 200 years of this property sort of changing hands of ownership. Mm Mm-hmm. So enter in the Sherman family in the early 1990s. Terry and Gwen Sherman and their two children were sick of small town life. Hmm. They were disenchanted with like the gossipy frustration in their small town in New Mexico when they happened upon the listing of the Skinwalker Ranch property. Hmm. And since they were cattle farmers, this land was perfect for them. The previous owners had pretty much abandoned the property, so they also got a killer deal. One interesting thing was that the previous owners had some weird contingencies in the real estate document. (laughs) The one that stood out to me was, quote, no digging without permission from the previous owners. Oh, yeah, that's creepy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So Terry and Gwen, when they saw this, they were just kind of like, all right, this is a little eccentric, but like, okay, you know, whatever. And so when they arrived to move into their new home, they quickly noticed some oddities about the house. The first thing they noticed was that every single door and window had a heavy-duty deadbolt on it. Not just the doors used for the entry into the home, but every door and window, including, like, cabinets, had locks. Oh, like interior doors. Yes. Weird. Yes, and they had locks, like, on the inside of everything. Yeah. Very crazy. Some doors even had deadbolts on the inside and the outside. So, I mean, I can get why they weren't totally freaked out. Cause you know, it's like a pretty isolated property. Right. You know, it would be easy to like ambush a property like that. So they probably just thought it was like security. Sure. Me, I would have been like, we're leaving now. Yeah. This is not the house that we want. Um, <laughs> yeah. Why though? Like, <laughs> why are these here? That would be my first question. But anyway, so <laughs> I wrote, I'd literally grow a bonus pair of eyebrows so I could raise those too. <laughs> That's how I feel about that. So (laughs) one other thing they noticed was these large like iron stakes with like really heavy chains on them, presumably for large guard dogs outside. Oh, yeah. That also wouldn't be that shocking because it's a large ranch property that you probably want guard dogs to protect the animals, that kind of stuff. There's probably lots of other wild creatures out there that can eat your farm animals and all that kind of stuff. Right. Take out all the supernatural stuff. And that's still that one. There's still a need. Yeah. So almost every source dated this first weird incident as the very day that the Shermans began moving in. Day one. Mm. So as they were loading their belongings into their new home, Terry noticed a wolf in the distance that appeared to have been walking towards them in a sort of like S shape. It was calm and its movements were not urgent. It was kind of just like casually striding over. Hmm. As it got closer, the Shermans made sure that the kids were in a safe place and they all watched like 
in awe. Mm-hmm. As it got closer to them, they were able to observe just how massive this wolf was. Terry was roughly six foot tall, or six feet tall, sorry, and this thing came up to his mid-chest in height. It had gray, silvery fur and super memorable crystal blue eyes. Ooh. It was such a calm animal that they all thought that this had to be somebody's pet because a wild wolf would never act like this. Hmm. Very strange. Terry's father, who was helping them get moved in, was even able to pet it. Weird. Yeah. It was like acting like a puppy dog. Yeah. Very strange. So as the wolf was walking near the family, they didn't bring all of their cattle right away, but they did bring some on Mm -hmm. their initial move. And so there was just little calf sticking its little head out uh, between the bars of the gate Mm -hmm. just to watch what was going on. It was just curious, looking around. And before anybody had time to react, the wolf smacked its jaws around the poor little cow's head. Terry immediately sprung into action, kicking the wolf as hard as he possibly could, but it would not let go. It didn't even flinch. So he hit it with like a bat or a branch, like a blunt object. Yeah. It didn't even flinch. Weird. So as much as he didn't want to kill or harm the wolf, he had to protect his cattle. So he had his son go get his Colt Magnum handgun. He shot it in the ribs. The wolf didn't even flinch. Oh my gosh. No blood. No reaction at all, besides from the poor little calf who was crying out, like, save me. Yeah. It's probably terrified. It probably hurt. Oh, yeah. So he shot at the wolf two more times. Even though this got the wolf away from the calf, it was still a bizarre reaction because the wolf didn't panic or cry out. The only reaction it gave was just letting the calf Mm -hmm. go. Yeah. So since he didn't want this wolf to ever come back near his cattle or near his family, he shot at it again directly in the heart and it didn't even flinch. Weird. So he had his son go get him the 30-06, which is much more powerful than a handgun. (laughs) He'd used that same gun for elk hunting and Terry's a good shot. Hmm. He'd taken down elk from like 200 plus yards with this very gun and he's standing right next to this wolf. So Terry aimed at the wolf He said it was probably 40-ish feet away when he fired a shot that struck the wolf. The wolf recoiled slightly, but was still calmly standing there. Like, it's just casual to get shot. Weird. Multiple times. Yeah, so he shot it again. Nuts. Chunks of fur and flesh were on the ground near the wolf, but it was still behaving like it was totally fine when it suddenly just, like, did an about face and started walking away. So the family's freaking out at this point, like, what is happening? Super confusing. So Terry and his son decide to track the wolf and put it down. Mm -hmm. If for no other reason than to spare it from suffering, you know, because it's got, what, six or seven major gunshot wounds (laughs) at this point. So they track this thing for over a mile in some of the forested area Mm -hmm. on their property because they like saw which direction it went. They can see also it's perfectly imprinted paw prints in the dirt. And so they followed the tracks into a clearing near a creek or like a riverbed. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that through all of this, they didn't see any blood near the tracks, but they were certain they were the correct ones because they were huge and fresh. Sure. They noted that the ground was very wet near the creek bed, but so much so that the prints had like sunken down Hmm. like a couple inches into the ground when out of nowhere, about 60 feet away from the water, the tracks just stopped. Oh, that would be a crazy jump if the wolf jumped from the spot where its tracks ended 
into, and the, water. into the water. Yeah. So they're looking at him like completely baffled. There's no way. So the most logical explanation they could come up with was that the thing just disappeared. <laughs> That's the most logical. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Like, where did it, did it fly oh away? Gosh. Like yeah. what happened to this thing? So Terry and his son were totally dumbfounded. So they kind of look at each other and they're like, I guess we just go home now. <laughs> right. <laughs> what are we, gonna, what else can we really do? Yeah. Can't track it anymore at this point. So when they got back, they walked, they walked past the flesh from the wolf that sort of blew out on mm-hmm. the ground when it had been shot, you know? And they said that it appeared to be grayish. Like it was like discolored, mm. the actual flesh, not just the fur. So that's day one on Skinwalker Ranch. Yeah. <laughs> I also don't want to forget to mention this. So the family reported this incident at some point and they were shown a kind of chart that had predators of different sizes on it. And they were told to point to which one on the chart that most resembled what they saw. So they did. And the animal that they pointed to, they were totally 5,000% certain was a dire wolf, which is a species that's been extinct for thousands of years. Weird. Oh, creepy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. Okay. So I could turn this into like a six plus part series if I talked about everything documented here, because there's so many stories. Yeah. And so I'm telling you that just to qualify that I'm barely scratching the surface with this episode and this will definitely need to be broken into two parts. So what do you do? Yeah. Jumping back in a few weeks after the Shermans had moved in, Gwen, the wife was driving home from work one day. She pulled up to the gate that surrounded their property, got out, Hmm. let herself in and closed the gate behind her. When she got back into her car, something at the corner of her eye caught her attention. It was a huge wolf. It had silently approached her and was standing roughly 30 feet away from her vehicle. The first thing she noticed about it were its piercing blue eyes and its insane size. She claimed that when it got closer to her vehicle, that the head was over the top of the roof of her car. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Gwen also said that it was very calm and had almost like a friendly look on its face. Like it didn't seem like it was trying to attack or anything, but- It's huge. Yeah. So a little away from this wolf was another animal of some kind. It was all black and wasn't as friendly or comfortable with humans as the wolf that was next to her car. Hmm. She said it looked like some type of weird mutated dog. She thought maybe it was the result of some sort of like selective breeding and maybe it was a pet of one of her Ute neighbors. So while the animal was big, what was really striking about the the black one was that its head seemed to be way too large for its body. Hmm. Like its head was weirdly massive. So she was pretty freaked out, understandably, and slammed on her gas to try and get back to her house, which was like a half a mile from the entrance gate. So she made it home safely. No weird giant animals in sight. With their new move, the Shermans had been slowly moving bits of their large herd of high-end breeding cattle to their new property on the ranch. Hmm. And so with that, she thought it would be wise to connect with the tribal office at Fort Duchesne to let them know that their animals were on her property and that they needed to keep them off so they don't lose any of their expensive cattle. Right. Much to her shock, though, when she went and reported the incident, she was informed that not only did nobody own domesticated wolves, but there had been no wolves at all in Utah for over 70 years. Oh. Yeah. I just learned that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. 
So this would not be the only weirdness that poor Gwen would experience. Gwen recounted several experiences that she had during her time on the ranch, but some of the more frustrating ones happened during everyday life routines. Like she would go to put dishes away and they would disappear only to be found somewhere crazy, like in the microwave. Or she one time put, she like came into the the house with a ton of groceries. Mm -hmm. So she went to put the groceries away and then she'd like go do something for five minutes or less. She came back and the groceries were all back in the bags. Oh, creepy. And she's like positive. She put stuff away. Yeah. But she's starting to like question herself. Like, am I going crazy? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So another time she went to take a shower. She locked the door behind her and she left her towel and her hairbrush where she always did and got in and took her shower. Mm -hmm. When she got out, the towel and the hairbrush were gone, but the door was still locked. Ooh, weird. Creepy. She later found the towel and brush in a completely different room on the opposite side of the house. And these sorts of things that would happen to Gwen would happen to her when she was alone in the house. Like Terry was working, kids were gone at school or with friends. Yeah. So she was starting to question her own memory, maybe even her sanity. So the family had only been on the ranch for a few weeks at this point, and they hadn't really began to put it together that these things might be connected. Mm -hmm. They're all just having some weird things happen. Right. The Shermans did love their property. It was vast and beautiful, and it truly did feel like it was theirs. One thing that Gwen enjoyed doing was going for walks after sunset so that she could go stargazing. Hmm. One night, while she was out on a walk, she was on the big ridge. Mm -hmm. It's like 200 feet high. It's big old ridge. So she was looking at the stars when suddenly she was hit with a huge sort of like rush of wind as Hmm. something flew directly past her head. She ducked down, noting that whatever this thing was had only missed her by a couple of feet. The weird part about this was that whatever it was had not only been completely silent, but it had to have been somewhat large because of the the rush of wind was Mm -hmm. like very turbulent. Like it was a rush. Yeah. So huge, silent. Mothman. (laughs) No, that's not in Utah, Kevin. (laughs) Learn that's, about it. That's a different episode. It is. I'm working on a Mothman. <laughs> so she went through a list of what the thing could have been in her head, thinking of any possible logical option. When less than five minutes later, it happened again. What? This time she ducked, but made sure to turn and look to see if she could figure out what it was. She was baffled when she again saw nothing, despite there being enough light in the sky from the moon. And it was like, whatever the thing was, was flying towards the moon. Hmm. And so she could, she still couldn't see it. Weird. She decided initially not to tell her family about this. (laughs) Not, not the wisest move. Listen, (laughs) let's just think about this for a second. Yeah, I know. I know. It's there. She was sound, she would sound absolutely bonkers. Like she doesn't want to. I get it. She's already frustrated with the weird things happening in the house. And she's thinking it's like a, her problem. Right. Like it's something she must Something must be going on with her, you know? Yeah. But still, <laughs> like. I mean, I can't. Giant wolf and uh, things being moved around and mm-hmm. yeah, eventually. <laughs> I don't sneeze without telling you. So. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Kevin, you have to hear about this. I sneeze today. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so yeah, I don't get it, but I do get it. Yeah. If that makes sense. It does. So this is a kind of a running theme with the family for a while. They all had weird experiences, but mostly kept those experiences to themselves for Mm. a minute. Mm. 
So not long after Gwen's experiences with like missing time or whatever was going on, Terry began to experience similar things. One day he was working with a, like a fence digging tool on the property. He was digging holes for a new fence with this post digger. Mm-hmm. And it was like a 70 pound giant beast of a tool. Yeah. He set it down to take a quick lunch break. And when he came back, the tool was gone. He looked all over the area where he'd been working, and when he couldn't find it, he went inside and asked his family if they knew where it was. Yeah. None of them did. The next day, he found it, but not where he had left it. He found the 70-pound post digger resting on a tree branch roughly 20 to 30 feet off the ground. Oh, weird. (laughs) How did that get there? The wind. (laughs) No. Yeah, <laughs> yes, definitely. Wow, Kevin. <laughs> that Utah wind, really. Scientist. <laughs> yes, science. <laughs> so one day, Terry and Gwen's son, and I think some of his friends, were moving these big pipes from a location near the home all the way down to the canal, which was a pretty considerable distance away. Mm. It took him hours to move these pipes. When they arrived back to the house, the pipes were back by the house, Stacked up, what? but moved over like an inch from the position they'd initially been in. Oh, weird. So weird. Took him hours to set it up and then to walk back home and see mm-hmm. that it's all been put back how it was before. But like an inch moved over. Yeah. And also, annoyingly, you have to do it again. I know. <laughs> That's the part that would really upset me. Yeah, I'd be me. like, wait, wait, Man. wait, wait. What? <laughs> I mean, the groceries, having to put the groceries away a second time would also frustrate me. There's a lot of frustrating things going on. I don't like this. These poor people would just be generally annoyed at Mm -hmm. all times. I know. It's like the, the, if you were going to be a criminal doing like the most petty possible thing, like just taking the (laughs) lid to the toothpaste, stealing only left shoes. Yes. Like that kind of thing. This is just really annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, all right. The family also claimed to have heard this loud, like deep grinding noise, like metal on metal, Mm. but it was coming from under the ground. They said it sounded like machinery, like heavy machinery or trains on a track, but underground. Yeah. And they said that sometimes the whole like earth around them would feel like it was shaking. Yeah. They also claimed that whole pastures would be fully lit in the middle of the night, but they could not find a source for the lights. They'd also see these quick beams of light appearing to be coming from out of the ground. Mm. One time, Terry put new flea collars on the dogs. Within a day, one of the dog's collars was missing. The weird thing, though, is that it was back on the dog within another day. The family says that none of them touched the dog's collars. So something took the dog's collar off and And, put it back on. And put it back on him. Creepy. Hate that. Well, and I mean, that just takes me back to the whole thing about when they bought the house and they were told, don't dig without contacting Mm -hmm. the previous owner. Mm -hmm. That's freaking weird. Like, what's under there then? Like, what's... You're being astute. I'm trying. I'm trying to be astute. Why the heck can't they dig? Because what's under there? What Mm -hmm. underground contraption (laughs) exists under there that's shining light out of tiny holes in the earth? There's a lot. I'm just really... (laughs) uh, This is weird. Okay. It is weird. So these sorts of occurrences were only just beginning, however. And soon they would discover that the bizarre, unexplained things happening to them were not limited to just them and their family. 
A few weeks after moving in, Terry and Gwen's nephew, who was around the same age as their kids, had come to visit them for a couple of weeks on the ranch. All was normal until one night when Terry was out with the two teenage boys. The nephew, turns out, had a fear of the dark, and he didn't have much experience with being outdoors because he was raised in, like, a large city. Yeah. So Terry was determined to help break his nephew of these fears, and he wanted to give him a taste of, like, the fun life that they were trying to build on the ranch. Hmm. So they were out for a night walk when Terry noticed headlights that looked like they belonged to a large vehicle like like an RV or a camper Mm -hmm. down the ways on his property. So he grabbed his son and nephew, and they headed out to either help a person who may have been lost or to tell someone to get the heck off of his property if it was someone there who was, like, hunting illegally. Right. So when they were about 200 yards away, the RV started to back away from them. Mm. They picked up pace and tried to catch it because now it seemed like whoever this was was definitely up to no good if they're trying to get away. Right. Terry was worried that these people were going to back over and destroy fence lines. So they started straight up running after this thing. But when the vehicle managed to keep backing away, maintaining the same distance from them, it hit Terry that this thing was somehow maneuvering over the fence lines. Oh, gosh. I just got none of the fence lines were being knocked down. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. But it was going over them somehow. That's the only explanation. So Terry chuckled to himself for a second because he realized the vehicle was backing towards a like a real sturdy five-foot-high barbed wire fence Mm -hmm. that was right in front of an even sturdier and taller line of old trees. Yeah. They were about 10 yards away from the vehicle when they all froze in their tracks. The vehicle soared up into the air, red taillights glowing in the back, white headlights glowing in the front, and it climbed up and over the estimated 50-foot tree line and flew off slowly and completely silently into the night. Oh my gosh. They were horrified, obviously. The poor cousin who's scared of the dark is crying. That city boy is never going to leave the city ever again. Well, needless to say, he would not return while the family lived on the ranch. His family was like, yeah, love you guys. He's not coming back here. He's not coming back. Oh my gosh. (sighs) Okay. What, What would you even do? Oh my gosh. I don't even know. Another disclaimer, this is one of those things where if you willingly suspend disbelief for a minute, Mm -hmm. this story is, and like you take everything that the Shermans had reported as happening as like at face value, like they're being honest, this is just what they saw. Then these, the story is terrifying. Oh my gosh. Like if you put yourself in their shoes for two seconds, it's like, I wouldn't have made it past the <laughs> towel and the hairbrush disappearing. <laughs> like I wouldn't have made it that far. So anyway, yeah, that was just one thing that popped in my head. So yeah. one extremely strange and regular occurrence was the sighting of these bizarre orange structures. So trying to explain this is hard. I'm okay. going to do my best. <laughs> Terry described them as structures that hung over the cottonwood trees. Sometimes they'd look almost like a large, perfectly circular structure, like a jumbo Harvest moon, like a Mm -hmm. huge moon. Um, Sometimes they appeared flat and other times they appeared layered like an onion. Mm -hmm. The most bizarre thing about these structures, most bizarre things about these structures is that one, they were only visible from certain vantage points. If you were standing at the exact right angle, you could see them. 
But once Terry was driving in the direction of the structure, if he edged too close to it, it was no longer visible. What? So he like tested it one day. He literally drove up to it, can't see it. Yeah. And then would reverse and he could see it again. And then two, and I think this is even weirder, when Terry would observe these structures at night, he would use his nighttime scope on his rifle. Uh-huh. And what he claimed to have seen was that inside of the orange structure, if he zoomed in with his scope, he could see what appeared to be a daytime sky. Oh. A daytime sky. Oh, my gosh. He's like looking into a a time warp. Yeah. (laughs) Space warp thing. Right. Well, and, you know, whether it was showing him a glimpse of daytime on the other side of the world or a different time or place altogether, he couldn't really be sure. Right. So those are the orange structures. Oh, my god! I am so stressed out. Yes. I know what's happening. This is so weird. Yeah. So things. uh, Oh, go ahead. Do you have a thought? Well, I was going to say, I I have had many a goosebump. (laughs) In in mm. uh, our recording of some of these episodes, this is the most consistent hairs on end. Goosebumpery. Goosebumpery. <laughs> goose pimpliness. Ew, that- no, that one's gross. Don't say that. <laughs> I like goosebumpery. Yeah. Put goose that on bumpery. a shirt. Yeah, goosebumpery. I, I am feeling very goosebumpery. Mm. Even still, just literally the last two stories alone are like, wow, this place is horrifying and I never want to even get within a hundred miles of it. Yeah, I told you, we're not going to drive on our fancy schmancy trip to the Southwest anymore because of this. Uh-huh, so. right. <laughs> okay, so things would continue to pick up in frequency and in strangeness around the ranch. Winter had arrived in full force at the ranch. One night, Terry was walking around about to head inside for the night. There was a thick blanket of snow on the ground and the temperatures were well below zero. As he was heading back towards his house, he noticed a craft of some kind about 20 feet hovering off of the ground. He compared it to the military F-117 stealth fighters in shape. So they were like long and triangular. Mm -hmm. But unlike the F-117 that is extremely loud, this craft was completely silent. As it approached him slowly, Terry noticed that it seemed to be projecting these like multicolored lights mm-hmm. from somewhere on like he couldn't see where on the craft, but it was projecting the light onto the snow. He also recalls that there's no way he could have possibly seen this craft because it was jet black. He wouldn't have been able to see it at night had it not been like contrasted against With, the white yeah, snow. Yeah. yeah. He ducked down hoping that whatever it was wouldn't see him. He watched the craft hover around for a few minutes. He said it seemed as if it was like searching for something. Like it looked like whatever it was doing, it was doing it on purpose. And he also said the lights were like scanning the snow as it slowly, like methodically almost moved over the ground. Hmm. Once he thought it was gone, he stretched his body to alleviate the sting of the cold when it turned back around to face him fast. (gasps) It hovered for a few minutes in place before it flew away silently. So what the heck was this thing? You'll also notice this thread through this whole story. Yeah. Is the Shermans really individually and collectively tried to look for the most logical explanation for every weird thing. Like almost to a fault. (laughs) I don't blame them, but it's like almost to a fault that they're like, what could this be? So his first thought was, I'm going to be real mad if this is some secret military testing because this is my property. Right. 
And also my animals are here. Right. This is my livelihood. My family's here, <sighs> my wife and my children, yeah. you know? So he was, he was like, why would they test this on private property? You know? Right. Yeah, that's odd. And so that's really what he believed it was, at least for a time. So a few weeks later, as Gwen was driving home from work around six o'clock-ish, she got home and unlocked the gate and closed it behind her, just as she always did. As she was about to start driving towards her home, she noticed that it got dark around the outside of her vehicle like a large cloud was passing overhead, Hmm. except it was a clear and cloudless night. So she looked up and she saw a massive triangular craft that was jet black and had multicolored lights scanning the ground. They hadn't talked about this. Terry didn't tell her about this as far as I know. So she was obviously freaked out. So she gunned it in her car towards her home. She said that the object kept pace with her vehicle. And as she pulled into her driveway, the object kept flying over her house until it was out of sight. Poor Gwen was terrified, understandably. Yeah. I'm going to say that a lot. Sorry, guys. Her kids were staying with friends and Terry was out of town that night. So she called Terry and told him what happened and he managed to calm her down. After she got off the phone with Terry, she made herself a small dinner. As she was washing dishes. And a large drink. And a large <laughs> drink. <laughs> uh, mood. As she was washing dishes after dinner, she noticed what appeared to be an RV parked around 200 yards from their home in one of the pastures. The inside, like interior of the RV, was impossibly brightly lit. And she saw what she believed to be a desk inside of it. She wondered, what the heck is this RV doing here? And how did it even get in? Because there's only one way in and out of the property, which is the gate. So when she focused her eyes, she saw what appeared to be a figure clad in a black uniform, complete with black headgear and tall black boots sitting at the desk. The figure stood up and made its way to the doorway. She estimated that the being was at least seven feet tall based off of like the size of the vehicle. It was very tall. Yes. She said that even from the distance she was at, she could tell that whatever this was or whoever this was, was staring directly at her. She frantically closed the curtains above the window and called Terry again, begging for him to come home. He drove all night, bless him, to get home the next morning. When the two went out to investigate the field where the RV and the figure had been, they were horrified to discover boot prints in the ground. Oh my gosh. Terry measured them. Do you want to know how long they were? No, but you're going to tell me. They were 18 (laughs) inches long. Oh my gosh. These boot prints were 18 inches long. Oh, that is a massive foot. That is a large foot. Yes. So this was around the time when the Shermans began to grasp that maybe we're not safe here and maybe this is all very abnormal. This is maybe a place we should not live. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So I feel like Uh. I've understated this so far. The Shermans, Terry in particular, were extremely passionate ranchers. Terry bred high-end Angus and Simmental cattle. They had around 300 cows, and Terry took the loss of even one cow extremely personally. So some very strange things began happening to his cattle. Oh, no. One of the first things that happened was in the winter of 94-95, there was a particularly rough snowstorm hitting the ranch. During this storm, Terry took to rounding up his cattle, attempting to get a head count on them. After a full 24 hours of this storm blasting as he rounded up the cattle, he noticed that one was missing. 
So he went off to try and find it. Yeah. He searched everywhere until he finally saw fresh footprints from the cow near a dense grouping of trees. He followed the tracks and noticed when he saw them, they were in a full sprint. Oh. This was weird because not only did predators not usually attack during storms like this, so why would it be running? Right. But the only tracks were that of the cow. Oh. So the only tracks were running cow tracks. Yeah. They continued in a sprint until they reached a clearing where they suddenly, mid-sprint, disappeared completely. The cow had seemingly completely vanished. Yeah. The only logical explanation that he could think of is that something lifted the 1,000-pound huge cow while it was in a dead sprint in a vicious, windy, snowy storm. (sighs) (laughs) Yes, I don't know. I got nothing. (laughs) Yes. What? The the wind. The wind blew. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've all seen Twister. It's fine. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. So more incidents surrounding the cattle would continue. One thing that began happening regularly was cattle mutilations. So cattle mutilations are specifically classified because they're marked by injuries or death that can't be explained naturally, like disease, predators, that sort of thing. Yeah. This is a topic in the scientific community that I learned is pretty controversial, Mm. specifically with like vets and other biologists. I could spend a long time on this, but... I just don't have time to, so I won't. So maybe I will sometime. Maybe even in the next episode, because that one's going to probably be shorter. But if you don't want to hear anything about things happening to animals, then I suggest you fast forward a couple minutes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, We can timestamp it. We'll timestamp it. Yeah, that's easy. We can timestamp that. So, okay. What you really need to know is that many, if not most experts, don't even want to touch the subject of cattle mutilation for fear of being ridiculed by their peers or other professionals. The Hmm. mutilations on the farm hit like a wave. There are a lot of mutilations that happened in the 20 months that the Shermans were on the ranch. I'm just going to pick a few. Hmm. The first mutilation took place during a rainstorm. Terry and his son were out rounding up cattle on the ranch when the son noticed that a female cow had fallen into like a little ravine. She was stuck and frantically trying to get out, but the mud kept making her like slip and fall back in. So the son finished getting this little calf who had run off back to its mother. Took Mm -hmm. him maybe 20 minutes tops. Then he returned to the ravine only to discover that the cow was dead, missing its entire rear end. Oh, When they looked at her wound more closely, they saw not a single drop of blood and that the whole reproductive area and rear of the cow had been perfectly, like, cut and sucked out. Ooh. Yeah. They couldn't explain what what instrument even could do that. Yeah. Because it was perfect and there was no blood. Weird. Another mutilation would happen three months later. At this point, the Shermans were used to seeing odd lights and other unexplained things, but Terry had noted that the night before finding this particular animal, he saw those RV headlights and other strange light activity on the property. So they approached the cow and saw that its ear, where its tag had been, had been perfectly, almost surgically removed, and that there was once again no blood and its rear and reproductive area had been removed once again. Ooh. No blood there either. 
There was, however, a strange brown fluid of some sort near the body of the cow. Hmm. Terry went inside to get something he could use to, like, collect a sample. And when he got back minutes later, the fluid was totally gone. He also reported a correlation with seeing strange lights followed by a mutilation. Like, they were, like, connected Uh, somehow. And also that the mutilations seemed to happen either during or immediately following, like, a Mm large-scale storm. So what could pull this off? If you think about anybody or anything being able to have the focus to perform a surgery with like heavy winds and rains Mm -hmm. or snow, cold temperatures, crazy heat, all that kind of stuff. What could do that? In minutes. In minutes. Yeah. Like that fast. Yeah. Okay. So I'm almost done here. So stick with me for just a minute longer. So in the spring of 1996, word got out that there were strange things happening on the Sherman property. Newspaper articles with wild headlines began circulating and the public began to take an interest in what was going on. The Shermans, being private people just trying to mind their own business, hated this. Mm. But there wasn't much that they could do. So one day, while Terry and his son were out on the ranch, a visitor arrived. It was a man with bright blonde hair who stood well over six feet tall. He was enthusiastic about the Sherman property. And after some begging, he actually convinced Terry to let him meditate. He said, I'm just here to meditate. I'm just to meditate. Take me to an area. la di da So Terry was like, nah. But eventually him and his son kind of thought it was funny. So yeah. they're like, okay, fine. So they piled <sighs> into Terry's truck and they drove until the man found a spot that he said would be perfect for his meditation. Um, and it was in an open pasture about 100 yards from a line of trees. Hmm. He walked out and began doing his thing quietly when the quiet was broken by the sound of a cowbell, which is weird because even though there were cows on the ranch, the Shermans didn't put cowbells on any of them. So where did that sound come from? Terry and his son kind of looked at each other like confused, but it seemed like the blonde man didn't even notice. Suddenly from the tree line, Terry saw a black, fast moving blur whizzing through the trees, almost like a predator looking for different vantage points to like survey its prey. The thing broke into an impossibly fast sprint towards the meditating man and stopped inches away from him when it let out an extremely loud roar. Oh my gosh. The man jumped back about 10 feet when the creature that Terry and his son only managed to get a vague description of because it was basically in continuous, super fast motion, took off at a dead sprint for the tree line where it disappeared. The poor meditator was horrified and in shock. He was like grabbing on to Terry, like, just get me out of here. Yeah. Terry's like, I'll get you out of here if you let me go. Yeah. (laughs) So they got him back to the truck. (laughs) They got him to his car safely. And the guy beelined his way out of there. Oh, my God. So (laughs) what was that? Oh. And, you know, these are outdoors people and Terry's a hunter. Yeah. So it's pretty easy for him to identify something, even in motion. So and if. He couldn't identify it. So later that night, the family was watching a feel-good classic, the movie Predator, starring (laughs) Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jesse Ventura, when they both shouted, that's what we saw, or something like that, when Mm. the Predator appeared on the screen. So freaking yikes. Yeah. If that's Uh, what they thought, what they saw looked like. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Hate that. Have you seen... Predator? I have never seen Predator. You need to look it up right now. I know what Predator looks like. I've seen pictures of Predator. I just watch Predator tonight instead of edit this. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so finally we're going to talk about the orbs. <laughs> it was um. not unusual for the Shermans to see orbs on the property. The blue orbs in particular had given them some trouble. Whenever the blue orbs were around, the animals would get like nervous and like skittish, jumpy. But one night while Gwen and Terry were sitting outside, uh, it was like almost nightfall, they noticed a blue orb hovering near the horses. Like I said, normally this would cause the animals to react like they were nervous, but they Mm -hmm. were totally calm. The orb then approached the Shermans, and when it got to a certain point near them, they were both suddenly struck with this, like, extreme panic. Mm. Yes. Unlike any panic that either of them have had ever experienced, they were both literally knocked to their knees with, like, fear and dread. Yeah. yeah. Gwen, smart lady that she was, grabbed her flashlight and turned it on. And just as suddenly as the orb disappeared, so did their panic. Hmm. So apparently this thing can affect the moods of whatever they're targeting. It can prompt an emotion. Yes. Which, I mean, if I saw just a random floating orb coming at me. But at this point, they've seen orbs. They're like used to them. And they can identify, oh, it's the blue ones. The animals are now going to be nervous. Yeah. Which is also odd. Like, Mm -hmm. just to be realistic about this, that's still weird. Like, to, to see that stuff... Even if it is like, oh, yeah, we see orbs all the time. Like, we're just going to, like, pretend like that's normal. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. It it is wild. Yeah. But for, I mean, for them, they're seeing this kind of weird stuff every day. That's true. At some point, they just live with it because (laughs) this is their livelihood. An orb is probably one of the least crazy things that they're like, oh, yeah, whatever. Compared to everything else, we'll deal with the the orbs. Yeah. (gasps) Wild. So they've been dealing with the intense drama of the bizarre technology and strange occurrences on the ranch for almost two years now, and they were over it. Two hours after the orb instance in the yard, Gwen and Terry were sitting inside on the couch when they noticed a blue orb floating slowly outside of the window. As it passed around, the lights in the house grew dim, almost like they were on like a switch. As soon as the orb passed, the lights were back to normal. Terry legitimately believed that everything happening on the farm was caused by advanced secret military testing on the property, by the way. Still. He still believes that. Well, at at this point in the story, at least. Oh, okay. So near the end of their time at the ranch, Terry was out walking the property with his three dogs. They were blue healers, which are working dogs. Mm -hmm. They were very protective of the land, of their owners, and the cattle. They would fend off attacks from predators and keep everyone as safe as they could. They definitely earned their keep on the ranch. Hmm. So anyways, Terry noticed a blue orb far off on the property that appeared to be slowly approaching them. Hmm. Normally, he wouldn't let the dogs do this, but for whatever reason, on this particular night, he set them loose to go chase the thing down. I think he was just sufficiently over yeah. dealing with the craziness. Yeah. He wanted to see the this thing get mauled or whatever. Yeah. 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 Which care of. don't blame him for that. Yeah. He and his family were hardly sleeping. They were being regularly terrorized and even the kids were getting teased at school because of the media attention oh, that was happening. I don't like that either. Yeah, that's a huge bummer. So it was hard in just about every way you can imagine. Mm-hmm. So anyways, the dogs took off towards the orb barking ferociously. 
the orb darted away and it would pause and sort of lower itself so it was just out of the dog's reach and then like shoot back up again. Yeah. They'd jump and snap at it, not willing to give up until they caught it. Yeah. The orb then darted off into a thick line of trees where Terry couldn't see it anymore. Yeah. And the dogs followed, barking loudly all the while until suddenly Terry's body was instantly racked with chills. He heard the unmistakable sound of three dogs in serious pain. Oh. They yelped helplessly from somewhere in the trees and oh, then no. total silence. <sighs> Terry searched relentlessly for many hours to find his precious dogs that he loved, but eventually he had to go home and yeah. he would just continue his search in the morning. He began his search right away when he woke up the next day and he retched at what he discovered mm. in a clearing of the trees there were three large circles of dead vegetation. In the middle of those three brown spots were three blackish piles of greasy, like incinerated goop that were once his dogs. Oh. Terry, with tears in his eyes, went home and told his family what had happened. It was time to move off of the ranch. Not long after listing, they got contacted on behalf of a very interested buyer. This man would be the one to close the chapter of the Sherman's life as ranchers on the property and would open up a new chapter of continued unexplained occurrences observed not by terrified ranchers, but by scientists and experts ready and extremely eager to get to the bottom of what was happening at Skinwalker Ranch. And that's where I'm going to leave. Oh, my gosh. <gasps> yep. So I'm oh leaving you at gosh. they're over it. Yes. The dog incident was like the final straw. Yeah. This is crazy. I hate this. And they're also losing these cattle, which if I remember right, they're like thousands of dollars each. Oh, yeah. yeah. These are expensive. Cattle are very animals. expensive. Well, yes. And they're like specific breeds. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm. they're Ooh. done. They want to get themselves and their animals <sighs> off the property. And somebody's interested in buying it. Some but who? Weirdo. We're going to find out who. Yeah. Oh, wow. That is crazy. Mm -hmm. So before we totally wrap up this episode, can you give us a little bit of information about where you got all of these stories and everything uh, so that people who are stuck waiting can maybe get a little bit more attuned to <laughs> this whole crazy thing? Yes. So I got a ton of my information from the book, The Hunt for the Skinwalker by Colm A. Kelleher. Uh, who's a P he's a doctor. He's got mm -hmm. a PhD and George Knapp. And also from the documentary, the hunt for Skinwalker ranch, uh, which was made 10 years after the book was released. So it's got like updated information. Mm. So that's pretty cool. Um, that's cool. I also literally learned as I was in the middle of typing up episode two, that they released a book in 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I haven't read that yet. Totally. I, I did get it on my Kindle already. So that's good. I'm ready to read it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm like, I'm just going to just keep the cart yeah. behind the horse. Yeah. That's episode now. 100 is revisiting. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the thing that's really hard about this, about telling this story is there's so much information. Mm -hmm. uh, like the people in the books interviewed so many people. They were, I mean, this was a huge undertaking they really did a good job with it. I feel like anybody who talks about either of these two mm -hmm. co-authors respects them highly. Like people that are interested in the paranormal. I think people yeah. that aren't interested in the paranormal might like look down their noses a little bit, but these guys are like 
they did an incredible job covering this. There was one thing that was like, these people just want to believe it's true. (laughs) And so they're like looking for any confirmation that the paranormal is real or whatever. But yeah, I've been digging through the, the droves of information on Reddit, watching interviews. I've spent a long time on this. You've gone all the way to the edges of the fringes and all the way into scientific documentation. You've yes. not, you've, you've, you've covered the whole gamut. So you also said that there's a, there's a, another, there's not, there's a documentary, but there's also like a little series. Yeah. There's, What's that I don't about? remember what that one's called. It's the one on the history channel. That one seems to have a lot more critique on it. Cause it seems to almost be like the, um, the like finding Bigfoot oh, shows yeah. where they're like, Oh, there's a the snapping of a twig and everybody's like screaming at the commercial break. And then you come back and it's like a rabbit. Mm. A like they more, never actually yeah. see anything. That's kind of seems to be a little bit more hyper sensationalized version of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. I, that's just hearsay because I haven't watched all of it. So I don't know. Wow. Um, yeah. But yeah, there's, there is that too. That's more modern, more updated. I'm pretty sure there's like, if I remember right, there's still like seasons coming out of it. Hmm. Not totally sure on that. You can let us know in the comments yeah. on the Instagram. So, wow. Yeah. Well, this has been uh, utterly unusual. Unsettling. <laughs> Very unsettling. I I feel like I say this every episode, but I have gotten even more goosebumps than in the past. I've gotten more goosebumpery than in the past. And my... Uh, I don't know if I'm going to sleep well tonight now. So thank you for that. This is why I've been like <laughs> manically running around the house, typing in a fever pitch for the last three months. Yeah. Cause how else would you sleep is mm-hmm. <laughs> except for to find more information about Skinwalker Ranch. Skinwalker Ranch. Oh my goodness. Woo. So yeah, we will talk about yeah. phase two of Skinwalker Ranch on the next episode. Yeah. So I'll say if I was going to grade this between unusual, unsettling and unsavory, this part one is definitely unsettling. I'm yeah. quite unsettled. Yeah. And I need to know if other people feel unsettled or unsavored or unusual. If you want to get real unsettled, look up the Shupas. Hmm. They're in the book. There's hmm. a whole chapter on them. They will scare you so badly. I will not do that. <laughs> look up the Shupas, Kevin. I was going to send you links That's about good. the Shupas. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Well, everybody, thanks for listening to the unusual, unsettling, and unsavory story today. Uh, Please, if you want to hear more, especially if you want to hear part two, uh, subscribe to our podcast. And if you got as much goosebumpery as I did, please leave a glowing five-star review and tell us exactly how many times you got the goosebumps. Uh, Mine was nine i'm pretty sure i didn't keep a close track but i got lots of goosebumps in this one um also you can follow us on socials at this one is a doozy and then on facebook this one's a doozy podcast and at gmail this one is a doozy at gmail.com where we would love to hear your personal stories or requests for stories anything else they should send us on the gmail yeah i think that's about it just that yeah yeah so if you got something please let us know And with that, we will see you next week or possibly sooner for the continuation of this doozy. Thanks for listening. 
Thank you guys. Bye.